Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the book of Philippians. In this book, Paul calls the church in Philippi to live lives that reflect Christ, even in times of persecution. Remembering this, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Philippians chapter 1. Hopefully my voice will hold up this morning. This cold has certainly worked its course, but it's gotten out. So, But every now and then my voice gets a little scratchy. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 12 this morning. Hasn't this been an awesome study so far? I don't mean, hasn't the study I'm giving you been awesome, but hasn't this study of this Word been awesome? I mean, I, 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 this is right on. You know, I think it was Cindy that said to me, as you're thinking about the two between Timothy and this one, boy, don't. Philippians just ministers right where we are right now at this point in time in our fellowship. And I have to tell you, it's really speaking to me and, and listening to you guys as you're going out of here on Sunday and running into you during the week. I'm getting the impression it's doing the same for you. Uh, Paul is one of Paul's finest letters. Of course, he didn't do this. The Holy Spirit did. But I mean, the Holy Spirit used Paul, and you really see Paul's heart in this, but you really see the heart of God beating in Paul's chest and, and, and moving that pen as he's writing. And, and it really just speaks of God's love for us and his desire for us as his people, how we should be relating to one another, how we should be relating to him, and, and it's really doing that. But let's pick up in verse 12 this morning. He says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul is now shifting course. Last week we know he was talking about the prayers he was praying for them. It was kind of the conclusion of his introduction, and he's moving now from the introduction to begin dealing with some of the issues that he's writing to them about. And, and here Paul is, is talking to them about his own circumstances. And apparently Paul's learned, most likely from Epaphroditus, who was ministering to these people who they'd sent to minister to Paul, that the church at Philippi was troubled by his imprisonment. Remember, Paul is writing this from, from prison. And, you know, we don't know exactly what the imprisonment was, but most scholars have pretty well concluded he was in prison in Rome at this time. And, you know, they're troubled by this. They're troubled for his safety. They're troubled for his sake. But they're also afraid that this imprisonment that Paul was in was going to negatively impact his ministry for, for the Lord, that this would stop it. And, and Paul now shifts the topics to address this concern. And, and two important things, actually three important things I want you to note in his response. He says first, I want you to know. Now, the English doesn't do that statement justice. I want you to know. That kind of sounds like, here, let me fill you in on what's going on, doesn't it? But that's not what these words mean. Literally what Paul is saying is that what he is about to share with them about his own experience, he desires for them to learn and to apply to their own lives. That this is something that he wants them to learn from and to apply their own lives. That's what that literally means. Now, that changes the whole tenor and nature of what he's about to say. It's kind of like me saying, hey, look, I'm going to share something about my life with you. But as I do that, I'm sharing it with you so you will learn from it and you'll take it and be encouraged by it and grow by it and have it applied to your own life. That's what Paul is saying to them. And then secondly, he says that the things... Now, clearly, the things that Paul is referring to is his current personal circumstances. In other words, his imprisonment in Rome. So he's saying, hey, I want you 
to learn from my imprisonment. I want you to learn from what's happening with me in my imprisonment in Rome, and I want you to apply it to your own lives. And then thirdly, he says, which happened to me. Now, these words are italicized in most of your Bibles. The happened to me is italicized in most of your Bibles. And the reason it's italicized is because most scholars say that those words actually weren't there in the original Greek manuscripts. They've been added to give clarity to what Paul is saying, but in reality, they weren't there in the original Greek manuscripts. And I would argue maybe in giving clarity to something, we've kind of undermined what he was really saying. Because literally, those words are not included because Paul probably never said them. Because when you think about something happening, it almost gives the sense as though it's happening by chance, as though it's just kind of befallen him. And nothing ever befalls a believer by accident. It never just happens. Do you guys get that? Nothing happens in our lives. Nothing comes into our lives that just happens by circumstance, by chance. Now, I'm not saying that just because I caught a cold this week that, you know, I just didn't happen to grab some germs and catch that. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, we live in a fallen world and stuff happens, okay? But I'm talking about the events that are impacting your life in, in significant ways. Those things don't just happen by chance. There's no such thing as chance in the life of a believer. I heard someone say to me recently that, you know what? Every time somebody says to me, good luck, I always look and say, well, I don't believe in good luck. And you know, the truth is we as believers should not believe in good luck because it's not about luck. It's not about luck. God is moving in our lives. Nothing ever just happens to believers by chance. I mean, think about what scripture tells us about God's words to us. I mean, here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, he said this, Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one, one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do you understand what Jesus was communicating to his believers? Of course, they're worrying about everything. They're worried this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And, oh, Jesus, what's, if this takes place. And he's saying, look, you know what? The Lord knows when the sparrows fall. He's he's involved in everything that's happening in this world. I actually outlined a passage in Job that I'm not going to read to you this morning. It actually comes from one of Job's counselors, and not every word that they say is correct, but oftentimes in their incorrectness, they're stating truth. Some truth, they're just misapplying the truth. But in that passage in Job, it goes on about God behind the lightning bolts and everything that happens, the rain falling. And and one of the concluding statements, I will read this to you. You don't have to put it up. I'll just read it. But he says this. He says, he causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. And the point in that whole passage is that God is in control. God is working. Even the insignificant things, God is working for his purposes, his plan, for his land, in other words, for his people, which would be us now, for his people, for, for his mercy, for, for the things that he's trying to bring about, that God is working. And now Jesus is looking at his disciples. He's saying, look, you're worried about so much, but you know what? Not, one, not even a sparrow falls without the Father knowing about it or willing in, in his will involved in it. And, and you know what? He's numbered the very hairs of your head. Don't you think that if he's numbered the very hairs of your head? Now, I know that's easy in my case, but for some of you, that's hard to do, okay? <laughs> he says, Randy, I'm losing. You know, I haven't lost count, but man, the count's getting small. But If he knows the numbers on my head, doesn't that mean he knows the circumstances that are coming into my life? I think back, and we studied it, we won't rehash the whole thing, but you remember back in Mark chapter 6, beginning in about verse 45, where Jesus puts his disciples in the boat, and he sends them out onto the Galilee Sea of Galilee, and he goes up on the mountain to pray, right? And then the storm comes. 
And of course, they're all freaking out because of the storm. But it says that Jesus saw them and he comes down and he walks out. And of course, that scares them when he does, but he calms the storm for them. Now, here's the question as we think about that. Do you think this was Jesus sitting on top of the mountain and then the storm comes and he goes, oh, gee whiz, I didn't see that coming. Or was it Jesus sending them out knowing fully well he was sending them into the storm while he went to deal with something else, probably praying for them, probably praying for their faith, probably praying that they would handle this well, that they'd receive what it was that he was going to do through the storm? I don't think it was accident. I think Jesus knew, and that's exactly what he was doing. He sent them out fully well knowing that the storm was going to come, fully well knowing how they were going to respond to the storm, but yet praying for them all along, and then coming out to meet them when their faith failed. You see, nothing in the life of a believer just happens. So the reality is those words could be taken out, and it would be appropriate for them to be out. But then Paul goes on, and he says, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, So here is what Paul wants them to glean for their lives through the present circumstances that have not befalled him, but that God has allowed to come into his life. He's saying, you know what? Because of these things, it's actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So Paul's simply saying this. He's saying, hey, I'm okay. I'm okay. And my ministry and my mission, it's unhindered by the current circumstances. In fact... It's not only not been hindered, but it's been catapulted in ways that I never would have seen coming. It's now, the reverse is happening. Instead of hindering the work of the gospel, the imprisonment that I'm in has aided it. It's aided in it, in my ability to spread the gospel. In fact, the words that Paul uses convey the idea that his present circumstances have allowed him to share the gospel in ways and in places he might not otherwise have been able to go. Wust in his commentary said it this way. He defines it. He said, Furtherance is from a Greek word which means to cut before. And is thought to have been used of an army of pioneer woodcutters which precedes the regular army, cutting a road through an impenetrable forest, thus making possible the pioneer advance of the latter into regions where otherwise it could not have gone. Paul assures the Philippian saints that his circumstances have not only failed to curtail his missionary work, but they have advanced it. And not only that, they have brought about a pioneer advance in regions where otherwise it could not have gone. See, what Paul's saying is that, you know what, guys? If I wouldn't have been sent to prison, the gospel would not go where it is now going. Now, Paul's going to explain where it's going in just a minute. But I want, I want us to think about this for a minute. How many of us look at things like this and say, boy, I don't want to go there, and I don't want to do that, and that would be a bad thing if that happened, and oh, maybe you're there right now, and you're saying, this circumstance in my life is so overwhelming, this cannot be of the Lord. You know my thoughts about that. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not of the Lord, because I don't sometimes doesn't make it not of Him. But, but sometimes that's our attitude, but Paul is saying that, you know what, the deepest, darkest thing that we would look at and say, this can't be right. Paul is saying, is right. And not only is it right, but God is using it in ways that he could not have used or or gone without this happening in my life. For Paul, it's going into this deep, dark prison to be in this imprisonment, to be in this bondage. And now Paul's saying, because of that, I'm able to take the gospel to a place it never would have gone before. Now, that certainly doesn't mean we should go out and commit a crime so we can go to jail and spread the gospel. But it certainly does mean 
that in our lifetime, I mean, many of us are fearful that things are changing in our country. Could it be illegal to talk about Jesus someday? You know, years ago, we would have said probably not. But now we'd say, yeah, it's conceivable. It could very well happen. How many of us are going to choose stopping talking about Jesus because it would be illegal to do so? I hope not. I hope that we'd all say, well, I'm going to do it anyways and let fall what falls. But you know what? Nothing just happens. And so if we speak of Jesus publicly and we go to jail, we did it in, in a righteous way. We didn't do it and in, in, in thumb our nose in the face of somebody way, but we just went out and we shared the Word of God because we were compelled to do that, because God called us to do that and we couldn't do anything other. And we found ourselves there. Well, then like Paul, we can say, guess what? There is an opportunity for God to use us in that place. Now, that's the extreme, but what about right now? What about the job that you have where you don't like being, and, and, but it's the only thing you can get? Maybe instead of looking at that as being a, a curse to your life, maybe it's time to look at it and say, maybe God wants to use me in that place. Maybe it's not an accident. Maybe I'm here for a reason, and God wants to use me here. You see, Paul's in prison, but he sees his imprisonment through God's eyes. And he fully understands and he appreciates that there is no circumstance in which he can find himself that God cannot use for his good purposes and for ours. Paul understands the very truth that he wrote about in Romans 8.28. You guys know that verse, right? Romans 8.28. And we know that all things sometimes work together for good to the... No. All things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purposes. All things, all things, good and bad, all things work together for the good. In other words, it doesn't mean that God always ordains something bad into your life, but but know this, that there is nothing that comes into your life that does not pass before God's permissive will, where God looks and says, okay, let it go, just like in Job's case. Did God send Satan to go after Job? No, but he allowed Satan to go. Why? Because he was going to work his good purposes through the situation for Job, for Job's friends. Don't you think they learned a lesson before it was over? And so many other things that we don't even begin to understand that God was doing. And so as God allows that to come, what he's saying is there is nothing that can happen, even when the enemy attacks, that I cannot take and turn it around and use it for my purposes in accomplishing my will, but not only from God's perspective, but his will for your life. But Paul understands this. And that's why he can write that. But the question is, do we get this? Do we get this? I'm kind of hard-headed, and I don't always get it. And I'm very quick to say, what is this all about? You know, what's happening here? Why is this taking place? Whether it's something in your life or something in mine, why is this happening? How comes this is working out this way? This isn't fair. This isn't right. This shouldn't be happening. This is not a blessing. This is a curse. And I miss the whole point. Romans 8.28. I missed the whole point of what Paul's saying right here in Philippians. That God can actually take it and use it for the furtherance of his purposes, for the furtherance of the spread of his gospel in ways that I never would have seen. That's the kind of attitude that he wants in us. So Paul's sharing with them, but God wants to instill it in us, that no matter how difficult, that God can work it, and he can use it, and he can turn it around. And then he says in verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. It's become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Literally, the word Paul uses here for evidence is to make manifest. 
When he says evident, he means to make manifest. Now, manifest literally means to make known what has been unknown, to become known, to be plainly recognized, thoroughly understood. In other words, Paul is saying that because of my imprisonment, I am now able to make known to my guards and to others around me something which they didn't see or understand before this happened to me. And what is that thing he made them understand? The truth and the reality of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this for a minute. Can you imagine for two seconds? I mean, it just makes me laugh thinking about it. Can you imagine for two seconds being chained to the Apostle Paul? I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, this imprisonment that he was in was not the worst of his imprisonments in terms of being in dark, dank dungeons. This was one of the imprisonments where he was kind of under house arrest. But that still was bondage because what would happen is they had guards that would literally be chained to the Apostle Paul. He'd be chained to them, rather. And they would take shifts, four or five hour shifts. They would rotate through shifts guarding him. And they were there. He was their captive, but guess what? (laughs) They were captive to him. Can you imagine that? I mean, think about what they were seeing, what they, they hear him pray. They, they, he, he, I mean, they were watching him write these prison letters that became part of the New Testament scriptures. You don't think they were looking and saying, what are you writing, Paul? <laughs> or you, Paul's probably saying, I bet you wonder what I'm writing about right now. And, 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 and they would watch him talk to the people who had come. And, and when that wasn't happening, we know that the Apostle Paul did not have a problem with words, okay? One time he preached, it says in the book of Acts, that a guy was sitting in the window and says that Paul preached so long into the night and it was so warm that the guy fell out of the window, okay? And it killed him. And Paul had to go down and raise him back up to life. Wow, you guys think I talk long, all right? <laughs> Just imagine that. And, and these weren't just regular guards. I mean, these were the palace guards. These are kind of like the Praetorians. They're part of the Praetorians. Most scholars believe that these were the Praetorians. And, and these guys were the, were the guards in Caesar's household. And, and so here they are. So not only are the guards hearing the gospel preached, but <laughs> what do you think they're talking about when they go back into the halls of power? This guy, Paul, and he's got a one-track mind. This is all he talks about. He wasn't talking about the latest game over in the Colosseum. He just keeps talking about this thing with Jesus, you know? The guy that the Jews brought to us and we put on the cross, (laughs) we crucified him. Wow. Wow. Here's the point. None of this would have been possible had Paul not been imprisoned. None of it would have been possible if Paul would not have been imprisoned. These people who were going to an eternal destiny of death, of hell, would never have heard the truth if Paul would not have been imprisoned. But Paul was imprisoned. And Paul didn't see it as a negative. He used it and opened himself to God using him, even in that negative circumstance where he probably didn't want to be, but yet he was willing to say, okay, this is where you've clearly landed me, so now I'm going to yield to you so that now you can work through me in any way you want. And for Paul, it was just an opportunity to spread the gospel. Paul wants them, and he wants us, to learn this truth for our own lives, that when we face difficult circumstances, when we face those things that we don't see as pleasant or we don't want to be in, those chains of bondage that are holding us to something, that whether it be the job, that boss, that circumstance, whatever it is, that illness that you're dealing with, whatever it is, that we would begin to see it with these same eyes and begin to say, you know what, 
I wonder how God wants to use me in this circumstance. Because the moment you open your heart to that, you, like Paul, will begin to see God making inroads in places that he would otherwise not be able to go if you wouldn't be there. And he wants to use you for it, you see. But every time I find myself then back in another circumstance, I'm so quick to complain. I'm so quick to not see the potential of what God can do. Look, it's not an issue of we have to like our circumstances. Paul, Paul, I don't think, liked his circumstances. He's going to say something to him in a minute that makes it clear that, that, that just the knowledge of this stuff happening alone isn't enough. It's good, but it's not seeing him through. He needs more. He needs their prayers. He needs their encouragement. But, but at the end of the day, just because we don't like it doesn't mean that God can't use it or won't use it or that God has not allowed us to find ourselves in that place. But if we're so consumed by ourselves and by that situation that, that we can't get our eyes off of that and onto what it is that God is doing, then, then we will never have testimonies like that. We won't have the testimony that Paul has because we'll miss the opportunity. We'll become unusable to God in that circumstance where he's clearly allowed us to be so that he can use us. Do you get it? I, I know you have testimonies like this too. You know, maybe next time we do communion. In fact, that's what I'm going to do. Next time we do communion on the first weekend here of the month, you know, I'm going to ask you guys to get up and just share if you feel led to. You know, just share a testimony of where you found yourself, where God, you, you thought it was dismal dark, but God turned it around and he used you in that to touch other lives, to impact other people, to bring his word to people that might not have heard it or might have needed it in that moment. You know, that woman on there that he spoke to, that doctor, she knew the word of God. But she lost focus and sight of it too. And she needed a Paul. She needed someone in a predicament that he didn't want to be in to be in that predicament <laughs> and to wake up on the operating table. Yuck, our worst nightmare. To trigger something that triggers a conversation so that he could take her back to God's heart, to the gospel, to what Jesus is all about. That, folks, that's why we're here. I don't mean that's why we're in here, but that's why we are here. We're not here for everything else that's become a part of our lives. We're here for that. We're here to serve God's purposes in this world. This is a portion. Paul's going to talk before this is over with about, you know, his view of death, his view of, of what's beyond. But, you know, Paul will say that, you know what, fine, if God wants to leave me here because there's work to be done, then, then that's fine. Then, then that'll happen and I need to do that work. But, but we tend to think that this is what it's all about when in reality this is, it's nothing. It's so brief on the continuum of, of what eternal life is. Eternal life has begun for all of us, whether we know it or not. It began the day we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Eternal life began then, not eternal death. We went from eternal death to eternal life. But it began when we put our faith in Jesus. But we, we tend to get so focused on this piece of it that we miss the broader perspective of what it's all about. But this piece matters. But it doesn't matter for everything that we're pouring ourselves into. It matters for why God has given us eternal life. It matters for why he's placed us here in this time in which we live and in the circumstances that we're in. It matters. It will matter a lot in that day as we stand before him. And so Paul says, look, so it, that verse 13, so it has become evident to the whole palace garden, to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. 
And then he says in verse 14, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul highlights one more positive outcome of this dark situation. And here's what it is. He says, not only has it served the purpose of taking the gospel in places to where it wouldn't have gone to people who might not have heard it or needed to hear it, but it's also served to encourage Others who are in Christ to be emboldened to share their faith in the difficult circumstances in which they're in. Now, primarily, he's talking about believers, I'm, I'm guessing probably in Rome, since that's where we believe he is at the time he's writing this. And, and it wasn't easy to be a believer in Rome in that day. <laughs> Even if they weren't imprisoned, the, the things that they faced, it was not easy to be a believer. And Paul's saying, because of my, my witness, my example, it's encouraging others to be bold. It's encouraging them to stand up and say, look, if Paul can do this and he's in chains, we're not even in chains, we can do it. And maybe it was some of the other people who were in prison too, in chains, of saying if Paul can do this, we can do it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.